Just a quick editor's warning before we start the episode, there's some mild swearing in this episode, but no adult topics are explored or discussed. Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Julia Peden Designs. Need a design project done? Look no further than Julia Peden. She is a freelance multimedia designer who helps bring your ideas to life. She specializes in developing unique brands and logos for your business to stand out from the pack. The one and only sports logo was created by Julia and I absolutely love it. She helped me establish a brand and has provided ongoing professional advice for me to keep everything looking fresh and consistent. You can check out her projects and other works at juliapeden.com. That's J-U-L-I-A-P-E-D-N.com. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 20 of the podcast. Today's guest is Kevin Underhill. Kevin is the communications manager for Field Hockey Canada, where he is responsible for managing social media and online content, media relations, and storytelling. Prior to this, he was the communications manager at Ultimate Canada, and worked for the Martlett Student Newspaper at the University of Victoria. He studied professional writing at the University of Victoria and journalism at Langara College in Vancouver. Athletically, Kevin has played for the University of Victoria, Vancouver Furious George, and Team Canada in the sport of ultimate. Here is my interview with Kevin Underhill. All right, I'm here with Kevin Underhill, communications manager for Field Hockey Canada. Kevin, how are you doing today out there in Vancouver? Ah, uh, yeah, good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, you reaching out. Yeah, sounds good. I know uh, Kevin because he uh, helped uh, with an ultimate watch party that we did a little bit earlier during the COVID season. But uh, here we're going to be talking about his career, what he does. So Kevin, can you sh- share with the audience, how did you get to where you are today as a communications manager for a governing body organization? Yeah, well, I, I I did school in Victoria at UVic. I studied professional writing there. I think I always knew I wanted to be involved in sports or sports writing or sports broadcasting, sports journalism, something like that. You know, and I think I'm still on my journey to, to sort of like figuring it all out. But right now I'm working with Field Hockey Canada, which is a national sport body, um, the governing body for field hockey. And yeah, I guess... You know, prior I, I had worked for Ultimate Canada. Obviously, the connection there is um, I'm a player, an Ultimate player. I've played for a long time, and coming out of school at UVic, I, I just wanted to be involved with writing about sports and and you know being a part of events, sports events, and I knew that you could get into that side of things. I think when people think about working in the sport industry, they think about like athletes, coaches, and maybe like athletic therapists or a physio or whatever. But I think there are a lot more options in the sporting world, and sports media is one of them. And yeah, it's just something that I, I'm into, I like, and uh, yeah, I wanted to do it. I, I, worked, I worked for the student newspaper at UVic, the Martlet, and I was the sports and lifestyle editor, which meant I got to just like cover Vikes games and, you know, go to, you know, interview athletes and coaches, and I realized this is pretty cool and this is something I want to do. So 
yeah, that's kind of the the journey. And I've worked for Field Hockey Canada since 2017, and I've uh, really enjoyed it. That's awesome. And did you do the student newspaper at Langara? Yeah, so the student newspaper at Langara is actually like linked with the journalism program. So when I went and kind of upskilled at Langara College, I did the journalism the journalism program there. Um, we we managed and produced and laid out and designed all the student newspaper as well. So yeah, I think I mean obviously I learned a lot working in the student environment. That was more of a like news style environment where you were putting together weeklies or twice or you know um, twice monthlies for the community for the school community so it's definitely a little different than working for something where it should have like a broad appeal for the whole country but uh yeah i mean obviously working for those newspapers were was just like really fun and it's a fun inclusive environment to work in a newsroom yeah so at your time with the martlet there what kind of skills do you think that you picked up that you specifically now use at field hockey canada well, I think, you know, interviewing is one and it's funny cuz you you know, you're out here doing that uh, with me right now. So, but yeah, it's uh interviewing and and storytelling and and trying to and reporting. Like those are things that you have to pick up on the fly. I think I was definitely very novice at the time, but was improving. Funnily enough, as the like editor of the section, I was spent more time like assigning stories and I started out you know, doing like volunteer writing for them. But then when I got the actual job of, of like managing a section, editing a section, you spend more time researching story ideas and assigning to your like volunteer army of writers. And I say army loosely because we didn't have a ton of volunteers, but yeah, really you're just you're trying to plan your section out. It was sports and life. So there was a little bit of everything, like a lot of sports that I, I wanted, but you had to kind of medley it with like, you know, nutrition stuff or you know, health and wellness stuff, sex stuff. Like there's, it was just kind of a cool experience piecing together my section. And I found that actually managing like volunteer writers was another skill I learned and learned to enjoy as well. So after you graduated there, both from UVic and then Langara, you worked at Ultimate Canada. So what were some of the things you were involved in there and how did that kind of prepare you for what you do now? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, huge shout out to Ultimate Canada, because obviously I spent the better part of three or four part-time years working communications with them. And obviously a big one there is event coverage, right? Nationals, high school nationals, four-on-four nationals, university nationals, going there and doing commentary broadcast, but also really, you know, doing a bit of everything. Because when it comes down to it and you're running running an event, you're often understaffed, overworked, (laughs) and no disrespect to anyone, but like... Anyone who's involved in the event organization staff is always doing a little extra that's outside their job description. So I think I felt, I definitely learned at Ultimate Canada when you go to a national championship to as a staff member, you know, maybe my job is to do commentary, write articles and interview athletes and coaches and update the website or something. But really you're doing everything else, right? And um, you're also doing like garbage collection and maybe you wind up setting up some fields and maybe... You just do a little bit of everything and you're up early and you're to bed late and it's a it's a whirlwind when you're at events. But, you know, a huge shout out to all the other staff that were doing it as well, because, you know, maybe their job description was X, but they have to do X, Y and Z while you're at an event. So, yeah, I'd say event ma- event coverage and event support is probably the biggest thing I picked up at at UC. Awesome. Big uh, shout out there, especially to Liz Corey, communications manager, who uh, who recommends <laughs> interviews. So, Liz, hope you're listening. <laughs> And a big shout out. So 
you moved on from Ultimate Canada into another national governing body there uh, with Field Hockey Canada. So what kind of led you there? Did you have any experience with field hockey? Like, how? what was the connection there, if at all? Yeah, honestly, not much at all, aside from knowing a few people in the Vancouver community, in the Vancouver sporting community that, that played or were a part of, you know, the national teams or, or what have you. But very little connection to the sport and, and no connection to my, like, upbringing playing it at all. So... Honestly, the decision to to move on from Ultimate Canada to, to FHC was was really hard for me. And the UC role had been part time for its vast majority, and then it had only just become full time for the last like you know six to eight months prior to me moving on. And I think one part of me that you know was wanted to switch it up was that being an Ultimate player, there was like an inherent conflict of interest. You know, it, it's funny like. In 2017, I was a staff for Ultimate Canada in the summer, but also playing on the Canadian World Games team. So, like, we had to, I had to, like, update the website with stories about World Games, but then I'm also playing. And I'm like, this is fucking dumb. Like, you know, honestly, not not that it was, like, a problem. And and everyone kind of knew that that was okay and knew the conflict of interest, right? So it was, like, it was out in the open. It's not like we were trying to be sneaky about it, but... At the same time, I was like, I was like, I shouldn't be just for the like betterment of our sport and the betterment of like Ultimate Canada. It doesn't really make sense to have a national team athlete also doing all the reporting. It's like, yeah, we're small, but we're not that small. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for some other people, like younger people to get involved in the like staff side of things. And maybe I can look to move on a little bit, especially because I have high hopes for my own career to keep playing and keep getting better at ultimate. So I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I want to be on the national scene for a while. And, you know, I think it was just like the right fit for me to move on. And then there was a full-time position at Field Hockey Canada and and the office was in Vancouver. So I felt like that was a good fit for me to go for it. And yeah, went through the interview process and got it. So that's kind of how that shook down. Well, getting the inside uh, scoop there. And so if we look back on the website and we look at the World Games articles and we just see, like, multiple articles saying how good Kevin Underhill is, then we'll know sort of what <laughs> yeah. happened. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. You, you, there's there's a ton of self-hype up in there. <laughs> just I- interviews with myself, you know, video footage of just me being awesome. That's, that's of course, you dig that No, up. that's funny. Uh, but you did uh, talk a lot about storytelling or you've, that's something we also talked about off uh, air there. So what appeals to you about storytelling? What kind of got you into wanting to do kind of... Because there is sports communications. People just kind of tell it how it is. And maybe they don't go into the the deeper stories that sometimes are involved in sports. So what kind of led you to that? Generally, being able to tell stories, to, to explore like weird and cool things in the sport world is a luxury that people in sport media and, and you know in communication roles have. I think, I mean, I'm sure we'll cover this in a little bit, but, but you know, when you look at the role on, on paper, you might just see sort of like manage the internal and external communications for the organization, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, all right, that kind of covers the, that does cover the sort of like basis of what it is. But, you know, beneath that, there's always those opportunities in any given week where I get to actually talk with athletes or I get to interview coaches or I talk to umpires, officials, administrators, whatever it is about their story. And, you know, I think this is something that I would want to do more of. Like, you you know, it's almost like you can't do enough, right? And I understand, especially in a small staff team and in a community where there's not, we don't have a ton of staff and a ton of resources. I can't just be 
you know, only doing storytelling my whole time every week. But those are the sort of times in the week and in the month that I really look forward to um, in the job. And that was the same across the board for all, all positions that I've had before is just the opportunity to, you know, discover something new and then share it, share cool stories. And obviously I, I, you know, I've worked as, I guess, like, you know, in the writing world for since I was like 23. So the chance to get better and, and improve my writing and interviewing and all that, I think, is um, a great opportunity. So yeah, hopefully, honestly, hopefully I can do more of that. I think sometimes we get bogged down with just sort of the day-to-day grind that you can get worked into. But the times that I'm really, you know, on fire or when I'm talking to people, interviewing people, you know, writing stories, and, and that's when I'm having the most fun too with my position. I appreciate you sharing that. And in your journey there to where you are now, are there certain people that were really heavily involved in getting you there? Like a specific editor that was uh, a big part of your life that really kind of jump-started what you wanted to do? That's a good question. I, it's interesting. Like if you were to ask me like, who are my role models in the ultimate world that have, have led me in my athletically, I'd be like, you know, here's five or six that have either coached or captained me or, or set a really good example but when it comes to career and professionally, it's 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 tougher for me to pinpoint one or two people, I think, just because I, I also, you know, it's 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 kind of rare that I like read an article or, or listen to a podcast or something and then I'm like, this is the person I want to be like. It's, you know, that it doesn't really happen, but I'm sure certainly people that have really helped me, you know, n- not necessarily by name, but just like editors that has supported me when I worked at the, the student newspaper, but also when I interned in Victorian News. And just showed a really good example of like what it's like to interview well and, and research and write stories. And then obviously some of my instructors at both UVic and Langara, you know, I don't necessarily look back and be like, okay, these teachers really opened the opened the world for me. But they were just good and, you know, they weren't like flashy, but they they set such a good example of what to expect when you did get into sort of like an industry world that I really appreciated that. And then, yeah, I mean, just people that people that did the position before me for for this one, like the, the person that did communications and digital storytelling and stuff before, named Shahid, he actually has a podcast as well. And he, he just is, he's such a good like digital uh, video and audio storyteller that it just, it made me want to be better and do a good job for the organization. So yeah, there's plenty of people that paved the way and, and, and but I think I'm still... I'm still coming into my own. Like I still want to do, do more and do better. And I think there's an avenue through sport and through sports storytelling for me to like get in there and, and yeah, and do more. So. Yeah. You can see how your career and sport are connected there. You just, you talked a little bit earlier about wanting to still be on the national scene and then getting better in your career. So it's always about a uh, self-improvement. That's the theme I'm catching there. But uh, last question of this segment What's some advice you would give to someone else who might want to get into sport media, such as uh, the person you're talking to, but potentially other people (laughs) in the audience there? Uh, What's some advice you would give them if they want to be a communications director for maybe a pro team or a national governing body, provincial governing body like uh, yourself? Yeah, well, I think, okay, so one thing, one differentiation is, is that in pro sports, there's a little bit more money. I mean, in Canadian sports, in Canadian amateur sport, with the exception of maybe like Soccer Canada or... Hockey Canada or, you know, the Canadian Olympic Committee or basketball, where there's a bit more of the mainstream sports that have a bit more resources, a bit more money. You know, there's not a ton of money and resources going around in the Canadian amateur sport industry. So I think what you'll find is that the people that are in it are are really in it because they care about sports, they care about the sport specifically, 
or they care about the sort of position that they are holding and, and how to sort of move move the needle forward in sport in Canada. And so it doesn't feel like people are there for the money. You know, there's one thing I think that keeps me around in the Canadian sport world is it doesn't feel too corporate. Mm. I don't know how to describe that. But I think I think obviously at the higher levels, it just is because it almost has to be. It's a bigger business, especially on the pro side, right? It's, it's a huge business. It feels a little bit more corporate. But working with like a three or four person team at FHC, and it just doesn't feel, it just feels like a bunch of people that are into sports that are kind of grinding. You know, they're just like, they're into it and they're trying to make the sport better. They're trying to, and, and being a part of teams like that or something that's really inspiring to me. So, and I don't know, honestly, to, to answer your question, what I would say to people trying to get into it is, you're going to have to do things outside your job description. You know, you think that's probably my number one hmm. feedback to someone who's taking a sport communication role um, or a sport media role is like, you know, it's not just simply what it might look like on paper for better or for worse some days, but it, you really do feel a part of a team. And I think if you want to draw any parallels to my athletic career is like, I've always enjoyed team sports, right? I've always enjoyed being a part of a team. I've been a team captain with Furious for a number of years in the national program as well now this year. I think being a part of a team is really important to me. It means a lot. And so when you're working in like a smaller niche sport environment, ultimate field hockey in Canada, you're with a small group of people trying to do a really good job. And I think sometimes it feels daunting, but most of the time it's just really rewarding. There's some uh, good advice in there. And Kevin, do you would you ever see yourself uh, potentially in pro sport or you're kind of uh, sticking to the amateur world. It sounds like uh, that's what you want to do. Yeah. I don't know, Theo, to be honest, I, I'm still figuring it out, <laughs> you know, maybe sometimes I sound like I really got a handle on it all, but like you, d- you did for the most part until you just said that right now. So yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm not really motivated and driven to try to get into high level pro sports and try to get into that. And um, not to say I would turn an opportunity down if there was something there or whatever, but I think for me, staying small is just a little bit more, it just feels more real to me. It feels a little bit more genuine. It's like you're giving some exposure and you're trying to promote sports and people that don't necessarily get all that hype, you know? And it's kind of fun to be a part of that on the, on the sort of lower levels. I don't know. It's I don't have any shortage of ambition and drive to get better, but I don't necessarily see myself like blasting to the top and working at the NHL or something like that. It doesn't really um, entice me that much. Yeah, and that's going to be uh, different for everyone. I know some of my former classmates, some of them wanted to work in pro sport, but some of them wanted to kind of stay local. So I totally understand that. And some of the things you said will segue well here into day-to-day life. So can you share with the audience, what does your day-to-day life look like as a communications manager Maybe share also uh, some stories that you've had an opportunity to tell and some some that you're really proud of. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like any job, there's there's like ups and downs as part of the job you don't love as much as part of the job that really gets you jacked up. And and this job is no no exception. I think, I mean, obviously right now we're in sort of such a weird time being with the COVID pandemic in Canada making you know like i'm working from home i've been working from home since march like many people like thousands of people probably in the country so it's taken a while to sort of you know figure out the day-to-day hustle at home and then on top of that because a lot of my quote-unquote day-to-day would be prepping for tournament events story coverage you know previews rosters whatever it is you know with no international competition with no domestic competition that has completely flipped you know so Prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, 
a day in the life might be preparing for an upcoming event by working on preview articles or preview stories, right? And then obviously post-event would be working on recap articles or match reports or whatever it is, right? That's one chunk of my job. But then also, you know, there's the more, I guess, administrative side, which would be, which would look like document layout and helping people internally in our or in our organization, you know, work through challenges for their projects or whatever it is, right? And help out laying out design and some, some graphic design. I think one thing I've learned to really like about my position that I have now is that I get to do a bit of everything. You know, it's not like I'm just writing three stories or five stories a month and that's my job. It's like, you know, some week I might write three stories in a week because it's a heavy event lead up period. But then other weeks I might not actually do a bunch of storytelling. I might actually be more on the like documents uh, side. I might take some photos that week. I might shoot some video to cut up later. You know, and I think that variety is what is really you know, keeps me excited and keeps me looking forward to the upcoming week is that I know it's going to be different than the previous week. I would say during COVID that that has changed a little bit <laughs> as everyone probably no is, feeling, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, I would say every week doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to be different than the previous week right now. And uh, not to get too downer about that, but it, that's definitely been a struggle is that it feels like we're just kind of time looping right now. But I know that with, you know, hopefully some events getting added or, or national teams are back out on the pitch training. You know, there's a little bit more going on and, and, and at least for now, you know, and, and um, a little more to do, but yeah, I mean, the day to day is, is fun. It's, it's a variety and I'm probably the most happy when I'm writing a story, when I'm researching a story and interviewing athletes and coaches and umpires. I mean, I know you asked me to pinpoint a few, stories that I've worked on. I mean, I think the biggest one for me are like athlete or sort of coach or umpire feature type stories. Those are the ones that I'm the most excited about where you really get to speak with someone about what they've done, about what led them to where they are. Right. And during COVID, we ran a set of one-on-one athlete interviews where I talked to athletes sort of in this environment that you and I are doing right now, actually, and, and just asked them about how they were handling the pandemic, asked them about their training, asked them a little bit more about their career. And those sort of one-on-one interview style pieces are, they're really fun. And, and yeah, yeah, I'm proud about like, I'm proud of those, uh, especially because everyone was trying to just sort of switch it up and figure out how to produce content during that time. And, uh, you know, for me, that was a nice piece that worked really well. But obviously, one highlight in the field hockey world was last year in the fall, the men's national team qualified for the Olympic Games. Well, two things, unfortunately, the next week was the women's qualifier and we missed out in like a absolute heartbreaking, thrilling shootout. So were you there for that, by the way? I wasn't. I wasn't. It was in Dublin and I wasn't there, but it was a total heartbreaker. And we were on the sort of precipice of having our men's and women's both qualify for the first time in like decades. So and then obviously when the Olympic Games got postponed, uh, it added another layer. But really that men's qualification was a really cool thing to be a part of. And I was like half there, but half at an ultimate tournament as well and trying to balance my work and life. <laughs> and But just being a part of that environment leading up to it and then obviously after it as well, like all the qualification stories that came out, it was just really fun and yeah, a really special thing to be a part of. Yeah, it sounds like some of the things you're going through at the World Games with Ultimate Canada was uh, creeping in a little bit with uh, what you were doing there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interestingly enough, there's always a balance between, you know, work and sports and life. And especially when your sporting life requires you to go to events and then your work life requires you to go to events, you you do your best to balance it. And I've I've been successful so far in marrying my sport and my work, but it it is challenging. I mean, any ask any amateur athlete that they are also working full time or part time or going to school full time or part time just trying to make that balance happen you know it's obviously really hard but it's it's worth the it's worth the grind and and a huge shout out to the organization that I work for field hockey canada for being like my boss being so supportive of my ultimate career right i think you know she just understands she played high level sports growing up she played on national teams as well so she knows what the grind entails to play so she's always open to giving me like extra days off for ultimate tournaments or, you know, and it's a balance, right? I'll make it up somewhere else. And I think that's a deal that we sort of like an unspoken deal that we've struck is that like, I'm going to work very hard and do my best, but I'm also going to go work very hard and do my best on the field. And, and she wants, you know, wants me to do well. So it's a good marriage of sport and, and work for me. Sounds good. And can you talk a little bit about your role in terms of tournaments so do you fly out to a lot of these national events kind of like what would happen with ultimate canada is that something would you be commentating as well or would you be more so writing articles taking pictures what does that look like yeah so similarly to position when i worked with ultimate canada is i would go to the domestic events so if the national teams are hosting in west van or whatever they might be hosting pakistan for a week and i'll go and cover the events and and then obviously our domestic national championships it's a little different to the ultimate how the, how the tournaments are set up but largely the same as I'll be doing a lot of like photo and video and stories and match reports and daily recaps and little side pieces but really I'm also just there like getting to the pitch early helping with the help set up the technical table if anyone needs anything I'm there to like hustle around and go get stuff and yeah updating the website with the scores and updating social media with photos and results and it's just sort of go, go, go once you land at a national championship. And yeah, I don't get to travel with the senior national teams when they go on tour to South Africa, Malaysia, whatever. There has been opportunities presented for that, but it just, given the resources we have and the fact that a lot of the athletes are paying money for their tours, there's not a lot of room in the budget to send staff that aren't, you know, quote unquote necessary, like uh, coaches and trainers and doctors and et cetera, right? Video analysis. Like I'm the most luxury piece that you could possibly send to a... Uh, <laughs> To a tournament and so it's like I don't really get to go but I cover uh cover the heck out of them at home and watch watch the streams and whatnot and try to do my best call the athletes after their games and it does mean that sometimes I'm up at like three in the morning watching the women's national team play against Spain in a different time zone so there's definitely a challenge there and uh but it's it's definitely it's worth it right it's like you know my work day just gets completely mangled because I'll be I'll like work from 3 30 a.m until 6 and then i'll like try to get a snooze in before 11 but then i've got some meetings and stuff and then they've got another game at midnight and i'm like Ugh. so when that's on the fly it's a bit hectic but uh again worth it to worth it to get to you know provide the coverage and and see the games and see how it shakes out so and uh, i know for ultimate uh, a lot of the tournaments get um sort of the results from twitter so is that something field hockey does at all like is that a big thing because i know Ultimate Twitter, they're big on updating the scores and you just have to keep sliding down and refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I for our followers, I'll, I'll often help live tweet major events. I'm probably, if 
you know, our men's national team is down in Chile playing a few test events that are sort of like unranked test events against the Chilean national team. I'm probably not going to be up live tweeting every every shot on net, but Olympic qualifiers, Olympics, World Cups, Pan Am Games, that sort of thing, I'll get on there and do my best. But but no, there's, you know, just like any sport, there's there's a culture and there's a following for it all. And there's accounts that tweet that's scores awesome. and post everything like that's that's all. Oh, yeah, that's that's all fire. <laughs> And as a communications manager there, how did you kind of deal with COVID and sort of trying to, you alluded to this earlier, but how did you deal with sort of like the stopping of certain content that was planned and how did you have to sort of pivot all that? Well, I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest thing was the preparation for the Olympic games, right? So March was the, what is it? March, April, May, June, July was sort of the four to five month pre-Olympic push. Right. And I think I was getting ready to execute on our sort of Olympic Games communications plan, which involved a lot of player interviews, a lot of footage from the team, sort of like mini doc series. Like I had a, I had a ton of plans. I don't know how many were going to get executed to perfection, obviously, but there was a lot of preparation that was going to go. And then obviously when everything happened and the Olympic Games got postponed, it, it put a shockwave into the communications calendar that was planned. You can wipe away that whole like next few months, right? Just like all gone. And I was like, all right, I'll put this on, put this on the back burner until like next year, March. But you know, who knows what this, who knows what it's going to look like. I think the biggest thing was just trying to find a way to still get out positive storytelling and positive messaging from the organization, like still link up with our athletes, still try to link up with the coaches, but really, you know, my position changed, right? I, I just like so many people probably around the world that, that had plans to do X, Y, and Z before you know, the summer hit or preparation for the spring or whatever it was, you know, as soon as that sort of like March 10th or whatever it was when everything... The day the NBA got canceled, right? <laughs> yeah, Rudy Gobert wiped down all the microphones or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, as soon as that happened, we were all like, oh, fuck, like, <laughs> everything's gonna change. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been... It's still a work in progress. Right? I'd be lying to say if we've just... Ex- we've, we're just perfect with how to handle this right now right because there's still oh is there going to be a competition in the fall right are amateur athletes going to be able to get tested like is the olympic games actually going to happen next year there's still so much yeah, it's supposed to right so, yeah, it's yeah. supposed to but there's still so much is canada going to send their athletes right does canada is canada going to feel like they want to open their borders to incoming touring teams right there's so much happening and we're far from figuring it out at this point so i'm just doing my best to keep developing stories and and I think you know you also like can give yourself a little bit of a break not like a time off quote unquote but like a break like don't don't be hard on yourself if your website isn't popping off with content right <laughs> now because up. I like it. you know and especially in the, especially in the spring it's like when covid happened and everything shut down it's like we went from having like a dozen international tournaments on our calendar to zero in the span of like 8 days or whatever and then before you know it, you don't really have much to go off of and your whole routine has been completely shook. So that was something I had to learn to do a little bit during this time was just be a little easier on myself and and easier on our organization. And, and the expectations have to change, right? Like you want to do your best still, of course, but your best within the confines of what's going on globally is, is, is going to look a lot different than um, what it might have six months ago. And it's uh, definitely something you'll be able to sort of lean on in other situations uh we we of course don't know how long this is going to last will there even be 
for example, uh, Worlds for you um, in Ultimate, we don't know still. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? Amidst all this happening professionally, quote unquote, like for my for my work, I mean the same shit was happening for Ultimate, right? And and I'm not just because I'm going through it. Uh, on an administrative side in a work capacity doesn't mean I'm not, you know, dissimilar to those athletes that are having their world championships and their Olympic games canceled. It's like we had been preparing for four years since, since we got knocked out in 2016. I'm, I'm like in 2020, I want to be a world champion before you know it with diff pulls the plug on world champs. And like, of course they should. And, and that's totally fair and the right decision, but it means who knows what happens with that. Right. And so our team, our national team is, trying to sort out what it looks like moving forward right and, and as a captain on that team I'm trying to manage that so definitely in March I was felt like I was getting it on both sides I was like at work all day I was like figuring out COVID preparedness articles and return to play protocols and then I'd sign off of work and get straight into meetings with our like captains and coaches for Team Canada and I was like and people are texting you probably and, yeah, yeah it was that was like a pretty heavy hit obviously and I think that the things that were getting me through was just that knowing that I was I was like safe and healthy and my family was safe and healthy and my friends were safe and healthy and I have a job at home that I work work from home and I have, still have a lot of positives going on but yeah certainly during that time it was it was gnarly for sure and so we're gonna move to segment three here some misconceptions. Uh, I'm not sure what you're going to have for this, but I know certain people in the general public, they're going to view certain jobs as one way or the other, So, and maybe don't have the full story. So as a communications manager, they might think that you know, you're know you just more PR management. What would you say to that sort of misconception and some others? I mean, it really, it, it depends largely on what your organization has you doing and, and what, you, what, you, what sort of role you signed up for. Like I talked about earlier, my role is like a, a bit of everything, right? So there is a bit of PR management. There is a bit of press release writing. There is, you know, there's, there is like a little bit of everything. But I think largely when, if people just think of the sort of corporate side of a communications officer, they're thinking maybe a little bit more of... That's what I'm meaning, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're thinking, I mean, there's a reason that like, Comments people get, you know, tagged with like being spin doctors. And that's, I mean, there's a reason that exists, right? And it's because when you work for an organization, your kind of guiding principles are to stick to the values and the, you know, tell your organization's narrative. So when, you know, honestly, that hasn't really mattered to my role in sports organizations, especially smaller amateur sport organizations where really you're just pumping out positive messaging about your sport which is something I can get behind, right? Like, it's a lot different if you're working for, like, a government agency or, like, a big corporate entity where shit's hitting the fan and you have to try to, like, weasel your way around the truth and, and tell a story that shapes it and makes it look different, right? We don't really have to do that. It's like, yeah, I mean, sometimes your teams lose, sometimes your teams win, but at the end of the day, you're not saying you won when you lost, and <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I don't mind being on the sort of positive side of things when it comes to field hockey at work. You know, I want to tell positive stories. I want to drive our, our organization and our country's narrative when it comes to how, you know, what the best we can do or whatever it is, right? And it doesn't feel like I'm dodging anything or spin doctoring anything. So ethically, I don't really, you know, it's fine. And, and I think I think I probably would have an ethical concern if I worked for like a, you know, a big company that was like doing some shady shit and the communications officers are just like dangling around and making some, 
making it seem like they're not, right? Whereas when you're working for a small sport organization, there's not really anything shady going on. You're just trying to do your best and just trying to share stories about the players and share video clips and, and just make people more aware about the sport, right? Yeah, so uh, if you ever see Kevin Underhill at any event, just remember he's not a spin doctor. So that's uh, that's the main thing you need to gather. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the main thing you need to gather from the episode is that he's uh, he's all about the marrying of athletics and his career, and he's not a spin doctor. Those are the two things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That you need to remember. So, uh, last question of this segment: What are some things you didn't know about sort of this role or a communications role until you got there? So. You're kind of a wide-eyed uh, university graduate or whatever, and you kind of have this idea of what your job looks like. What are some things you didn't find out until you kind of got to the job or, you know, months in or whatever? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I cut my teeth pretty early working with Ultimate Canada just because it was like a part-time job, and I was just hustling, trying to do a bit of everything. So it, it, I think what it did was prepare me. I mean, I mean, I can't stress this enough, and I talked about this earlier. You really especially when you're working with a small team, like you're going to have to do more than you thought that you were going to have to do. And, and I don't even say that as a warning. I say that as like, get ready to do more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, but that's certainly something that you can't prepare for and that you don't know until you're in it. But, you know, when you're at school, you're working, you're working on like the technical abilities to prepare you to work in like a field or, you know, if you're taking magazine journalism classes, you're learning how to interview and how to lay out a, how to lay out like a magazine piece or how to, you know, you're doing like technical preparation, but it all kind of gets thrown out the window when you show up and there's like, there's like a lightning delay at a tournament and all of a sudden you have to like edit the whole website to change the complete matchups. And now you're playing on four different fields instead of one field site. And it's, you know, one in the morning and teams don't have their matchups yet. And you're just, fucking hustling to try to sort it out and then you got to be at the field at six to set up the scaffolding but the camera's missing like you know shit like that you just you don't know about it right you don't know how it's gonna look and and as much as i've been through some of it now every event that i've ever gone to in a coverage in a staff environment like when i'm doing coverage and provide everything's different right every tournament has set you up to be the best you can for your next event but you're still going to see some shit you've never seen before. And I think that's the interesting part. And this, and it's kind of the addicting part that keeps people coming back into that sports world is that yeah, always something new. <laughs> stuff is weird and things are going to happen and there's going to be upsets and there's going to be injuries and there's going to be like things you've never seen before at every event. And sometimes it just, yeah. And there's some things that the sort of school can't prepare you for, but it, you know, it just can't. It's not. It's not like they're failing or doing anything wrong. It's just like sometimes you just gotta see it. Yeah, it's not. It, some things you just learn when you get there. Absolutely. Last segment here, Kevin. Rapid fire. So we're just gonna throw some questions out at you and uh, see what happens. So the first one here is name your top three sports teams and athletes of all time. I mean, I grew up in Vancouver. I'm, I'm a hockey fan. I played hockey my whole life. So Vancouver Canucks are obviously a top team for me. I mean, can do Canadian national teams count? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You throw that in there. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, any of our any of our national teams at at Olympic Games, but I guess probably I would prioritize the men's and women's Canadian ice hockey teams. They're like, they're obvious. They're the they're the players that I've watched the most of in my whole life. Obviously, yeah. And then any any of those Vikes teams, you know, UVic for life. They're uh, 
always wanting to see good successful results out of my out of my college alma mater so yeah the women's basketball team's done well right yeah they i mean they've been pretty good i I guess i guess i don't follow it super close and this year it feels like a total wash because i don't really know what's happening as far as you sports sports but uh their field hockey team's pretty good and play that athletes Oh man, again, that's so hard. I feel like I'm going to avoid Ultimate because I have like a billion role models in Ultimate. So I think when I was a kid, obviously as a Canucks fan growing up, I mean, I selected the jersey number 89 because Alexander McGillney was such a poppin' player. And and then obviously when you're a kid in Vancouver, Pavel Bray, number 10, was like, number 10 was taken on every team for your whole life, if you're like my age, roughly, yeah. So 89 was open when I when I like made a team when I played ultimate and I selected it and I've been 89 ever since. So, but I, again, I don't know if I would really put him in, in like a huge, in a category above anyone else. I think right now, probably my, one of my favorite athletes in the world is Brooke Henderson. She's the winningest Canadian golfer of all time. And she has nine LPGA tour victories. And last year she won the Canadian open in Canada. So that was like pretty sick and, and on home soil to make her the, you know, have the most championships ever. And she's just so, so good. And I love watching her play. So that's a big one for me. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's a tough question. I feel like on any given day, I'm, I'm that could change. <laughs> yeah. It could change. And I'm watching, I mean, obviously Sidney Crosby was, has been the best player in the league and the best player in the NHL for don't 15 years and he's he's just a bit older than i am so i pretty much have followed his entire career christine sinclair has been the best one of the best players in the world in her sport for for 20 years so and she's canadian so i think for me i'm always looking for canadian people to 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 reach a global standard just because it makes me feel very proud and, and excited that canada's doing that and getting on the map so yeah that's what i would say no, for sure. And as as like a national team athlete yourself, that's something that you would pride yourself that you're representing Canada well. Yeah, absolutely. Wherever you play. So totally understand that. And that actually segues well into question two. So your favorite sports memory, both as a fan, so maybe 18-year-old Kevin or 22-year-old or Kevin, and then athlete Kevin. So what's your favorite memory as a fan and then as a player? Okay, so I would say... It's interesting because the 2011 Vancouver Canucks Stanley Cup run is pretty important to me, but obviously the Canucks lost. Yeah, it was followed by the riots, which were pretty uh, shitty. So I don't know. I mean, that that was a crazy moment. I don't know if it was my favorite. I think the Canadian women's ice hockey comeback in Sochi, where they scored really late to tie it and then won in overtime, was really epic because... That was crazy. The U.S. national team is really good and is like kind of trending right now. And at the time, Canada was the powerhouse, but it was like such a close, I don't know, it's just that was so epic. And that rivalry has been so good for so long. The golden goal by Sidney Crosby in the 2010 games, they were in Vancouver. So I was 20. And and there's actually a pretty cool story. So I was in my second year at UVic, and it was, or, or maybe third, second year at UVic. And it was um, like the Olympic Games happened right over reading break. So the Olympic Games were like 20 days long or something, and reading breaks like 10 days long. So I... I was actually came back to Vancouver from Victoria and I went to a whole stack of events. I went to some ice hockey games. I went to curling. I went to like some of the big outdoor concerts downtown. And a lot of days I just wake up, grab the bus, head into downtown Vancouver and just like live it up because you could just do anything and everything was wide open down there and there's events and athletes. And it's just a huge party for, you know, 20 days long. So I, I was just like absorbed. And then 
near the end of the games, we like we had to we we went down to Palo Alto, California for a ultimate tournament. And it overlapped with the men's gold medal final. So <laughs> so we had actually just finished a game, our last game of the tournament, and we blasted over to the car to get the game on the radio. And so we're driving, and this is like pretty funny because we're driving seven of us in my dad's truck or something with Uvic, and my brother's there and a bunch of our teammates, and, and we're picking up some In-N-Out burgers and going back to the hotel to try to catch the third or try to catch the overtime because Zach Parise had scored. We were freaking out. Anyway, we're at the we're at the uh in and out burger in like Turlock, California or some shit and and we scored. Sidney Crosby scores the game winner in overtime and I'm just sitting in the car listening and I run into the in and out burger all my teammates I'm like, "We scored." And everyone's so pumped and we're screaming and like you can tell the like other dozen people in that restaurant are like they don't even know what's happening. Right. They have no idea that that they actually don't have a clue. We're in like a tiny little suburb somewhere in Northern California. And we're just getting ready to drive for 24 hours back to Victoria. And oh, you didn't fly. No, we drove. Oh, gosh. We drove like my my dad's navy blue GMC Suburban with seven people down to California from Victoria. So anyway, really cool like way to experience it i mean obviously i had i think i probably wish in retrospect that i was like watching it but i've seen that game hundreds of times now and that experience of being in the parking lot and running in and yelling and everyone celebrating and us listening to the replay via radio pretty cool it was really cool actually oh that's sick and uh what about your favorite moment as a player favorite moment as a player oh man i mean luckily i've i mean i've been fortunate enough to have so many Highs and lows. <laughs> Winning the CUC in 2019 was pretty cool because it felt like the culmination of a lot of hard work. You know, I've played on Furious since I was a teenager. And when we won in 2011, I felt like I was just like still a young buck on those 20 or whatever and 21 maybe. And we won in Ottawa and I felt like I was just kind of along for the ride with Oscar and all those guys, Nick and, and the Morgan and the sort of captains and leaders of the team. I was just like there helping out, trying to do my best. But in 2019, it felt like, you know, this is a team that I've dedicated the better part of my whole life to <laughs> at this point. And um, so that was pretty cool. Um, the infamous flu game is, is uh, what you're referring to here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's funny. It's like, it's such a great memory, but I was terrible because I was, I mean, I was sick and hardly played and played shitty when I was on the field. So it wasn't maybe a memorable game for me as a player as much as it was for me as a captain and team team member of that um, program. But yeah, and then also, I mean, I'm not sure how much you know about this, but UVic and UBC play in the Douglas Bowl every year. It's like a yep, yep. university, West Coast University clash. It's like the big showcase game. And it started in 2013. And, and I, uh, alongside um, a few other of my like friends and teammates, sort of founded it, if you will. Like we put a ton of work into trying to make it happen. And that first year in 2013, we hosted UBC for the men's and women's games. And there was like hundreds of fans and a food truck. And we had the Vikes cheer squad out. And it was just like, it was such a cool event. And this is... Oh man, living it up. <laughs> yeah. And this is my final year in the program. And weirdly enough, like at UVic, I played for five years and I felt like I was doing so great individually, but also our team was getting better, but we didn't win shit. Like we're, like we're so far off the curve. 
And we were still in our sort of like development period. And it took another five, six years for the guys on the team to carry the program forward and get so much better every year. But that 2013 Douglas Bowl, we won on Universe Point, And it was just kind of a special experience, like friends and family all down the sideline, all rooting for you, Vic. And that was a pretty special moment, but it had more weight than just simply like winning an ultimate game. It was like a really cool thing. And it kind of felt like we knew something was starting, you know, and, and it's so cool to see like even this year, 2020, right before the um, COVID shutdown, they hosted Douglas Bowl, right? In the, in the last week of February, like right before everything went dark. And it's just so cool to see the like eight years worth of Douglas Bowls. And it makes me feel, feel very proud to have been a part of it. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's sweet. I'm going to move you to some non-sports questions here, so uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> you have one last meal to eat on Earth. you got to tell me the appetizer, main course, dessert, and drink that you're having. Appetizer, let's go bruschetta. So just a little tomato and parmesan and garlic on some on a baguette. Main course, let's go like Mediterranean, so like hummus and tzatziki with rice and potatoes and Greek salad and maybe like lamb or chicken or both since we're it's the last meal on earth. And then dessert. Oh, I'm just so, I'm just not a dessert eater at all, but let's say some fruit and like uh, some cookies. All right. And maybe like some vanilla ice cream to throw it all on top of. I think an alcoholic one, I, I guess, I mean, I really like apple cider. I've, I mean, I, I drink beers, but I, I don't, I don't have like a strong attachment and knowledge and love of them, but I quite like apple cider. So let's just say a, like a dry, dry hopped apple cider o- over some ice with some lime, uh, a non-alcoholic, I don't know, like a chocolate milkshake, <laughs> but I don't know if I want that all in the, all in that order, but that's, that's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're going for. It's going to be a weird mix. <laughs> awesome. So I'm going to give you the chance to put on a concert in your backyard. I'm not sure if you have a backyard out there in Vancouver, but pretend you uh, do if you don't. And uh, I'm going to give you a chance to book any band or artist in the world, living or dead. you got to pick three and the order in which they play. Okay, well, I'm obsessed with music, and I have a record player, and I listen to like 10 records a day, so this should be a layup for me. Okay, I think I will open with Eva Cassidy. She does like jazz standards, but she passed away in her early 30s. She's one of my favorite vocalists of all time. So she's going to open because she plays like acoustic and it's going to be really nice, chill opening environment. And then, you know what? I've seen this person before, but I'm going to throw them in for this backyard concert. Chris Stapleton is going to do, and this is again, like honestly, I don't feel great saying this because I know I'm going to leave off like a whole chunk of my favorite bands, but he's going to play next. I think that's the nice progression. He does like country Western and he's just got an amazing voice and he's got a great beard and hair and just his whole vibe. It would be perfect for a second act. And then I'll get heart the rock band to close it out and just shred all night long headlined by Anna and Nancy Wilson that they're just like the, an iconic rock duo. And I've been, and they also spend a bunch of their years in Vancouver, so it, like living in Vancouver. So there's like a little Canadian attachment. They're from Seattle originally, but they're just like a epic, epic rock band. And I feel like they can really bring down the house. So that's my that's my backyard concert lineup. Yeah, I appreciate the way you answered that because most people have just picked their favorite artists. So you've actually like logically went through <laughs> what would the concert actually, what would it flow like? So you've really imagined this out. So I do appreciate that, Kevin. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Last question here. 
I'm going to give you all the talent in the world. You already have a lot of ultimate talent, but I'm going to give you talent of all sports here. So you could be any position on any team in any sport. What would it be? I would probably play professional golf. I'd probably just be, I'd win, I'd win the career grand slam and I would be a professional golfer on the, on the PGA tour. And then by this point I'm 30, I'd probably have my pick and choose. I'd probably go to 16 to 18 tournaments a year, including the majors and just, you know, not have a, not have a single worry about my bank account for the rest of my life. (laughs) There you go. I thought you were going to maybe pick hockey, maybe play for the Canucks or something. You know, this is, it's a different answer if I'm just thinking of like what I want to do to set up my life to be terrific or if it's like, what do I want? Do I want to play for a Stanley Cup? It's like, yeah, okay, sure. Then I'll be a centerman for the Vancouver Canucks and we win the Stanley Cup. But there's a little difference because then you're, you know, my career would be already over. I'm 30 years old. I'd be probably getting blasted out. But 30 year old golfers, they're just hitting their stride. And then I, and then I'd get a house with a backyard and then I'd build a little mini course out there and get disc golf course out there. Yeah, that's the way to go for me. So, uh, Kevin, thanks for coming on the podcast today. If our audience wants to find out more about you and sort of what you've done, some of the stories that you've told through your communication manager role, where can they find all this information? Honestly, I would I would uh, suggest people just reach out to me directly, like send me an email or Facebook message or something. I'm not that active on social media, so you don't I don't really share all my stuff that I do. But obviously, I manage and produce all the content on Field Hockey Canada's website. So if you're really stoked on Field Hockey, you can go check that out. But, you know, if you are, you probably already do. Or you can go back in the archives and check out some stuff for Ultimate. But uh, if you if you just want to get in touch and, and chat about sports and sports media, and I would say probably just shoot me a Facebook message or or you can contact Theo and get my email address. So that's fine. All right, sounds good. So I'll leave uh, some of that information there in the show description. You've done uh, some commentating with Ultimate Canada, so I'm hoping one day, uh, I've said this before, but maybe we'll commentate together uh, sometime soon, hopefully, uh, when COVID's over. Let's do it. All right, sounds good. So, Kevin, once again, thanks for coming on the pod. Do appreciate it. Thanks, Theo. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview David Yu, a lead hockey analyst for Sport Logic. In this interview, David shares about his career change from pursuing his PhD in evolutionary biology of vision into hockey analytics. We explore some basics about analytics in sports and how teams can use this data. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at the channel Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.